The AP Pro Football Podcast is presented by Cairn University. Hey, this is Russell Wilson. This is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Big week of news in the NFL, and we'll get to that all in a minute. Our guest coming up, three-time Pro Bowl safety, Malcolm Jenkins, who recently retired, and one of the league's current top safeties from the Denver Broncos, Justin Simmons. Both guys have been multiple-time guests on this podcast, so stay tuned to hear from Malcolm and Justin, but it started on Tuesday. Deshaun Watson settled 20 of the 24 civil lawsuits that he was facing from the women who are alleging sexual misconduct. Now, I reported, quoting a league official who told me that settling doesn't give someone a pass and that he's still in line to get a lengthy suspension. But here's how that process will play out. The NFL can recommend a suspension. The NFL Players Association can also make a recommendation. Then Sue Robinson, who is the jointly appointed disciplinary officer, she'll make the decision based on the rules in the CBA. Now, if either side appeals, and that's what gets interesting, if either side appeals, then NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell or a person that he designates will have final say. Now, stay tuned. All of that is going to unfold, or it should. The expectation is before training camp. Now, Goodell was busy this week, Wednesday, testifying virtually before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform regarding the committee's investigation into the Washington commander's workplace conduct. Washington owner Dan Snyder declined to testify. Everything about this whole situation has been an ugly mess. Ben Knuckles covered the story for us. You could check that out at apnews.org. It's just been an ugly, ugly mess the way all of it has unraveled. And Tuesday, Rob Gronkowski finally made his decision. Although he made it a week earlier, he informed the Buccaneers, but he announced it on Tuesday in an Instagram post. He said he's going to retire. So the Tommy and Gronky show in Tampa Bay is over for now. And I'll emphasize for now, because there's always that possibility that Tom Brady will persuade his good pal to come out of retirement at some point. Even Gronk's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, thinks that this is a possibility and it could happen. Now, he said that that's only his opinion. I think it's an opinion shared by a whole lot of people that we may not have seen the last of Gronk on the field. If not, if we have then we have seen the last of a certain first ballot Hall of Famer. And and I think sometimes Gronk's fun-loving party personality kind of overshadowed just how great of a player he is. Not only an excellent pass-catching tight end, but a great blocker in the run game also. So we'll certainly see him on TV and in commercials forever, but he'll be missed on the field again if he, in fact, does not unretire. Located 25 minutes from Center City, Philadelphia, Cairn University is a biblical university centered on Christ and His Word. In any one of our 70-plus on-campus or online programs, you will receive an explicitly biblical and intentionally Christian education that integrates your faith and work. Be taught and mentored by invested faculty. Participate in a dynamic campus life and grow in your faith as you prepare for what's next. Learn more about our undergrad and graduate programs at cairn.edu. That's C-A-I-R-N 
Edu. Malcolm Jenkins played 13 seasons in the NFL, seven with the Saints, six with the Eagles. He won a Super Bowl with each team. He's been one of the league's best all-around safeties and team leaders, and we've talked often about his business, his philanthropy, and most recently, his retirement. We discuss his latest venture and much more right here. Malcolm, thank you for joining me on the AP Pro Football Podcast. Always good to talk to you, catch up. Uh, I know you're since you've retired, you're still staying busy. And one of your latest ventures, pretty cool, neat idea for Juneteenth. Tell me about making whiskey and sourcing it from black and brown farmers. Yeah, I think anybody who's paid any close attention to me over my career knows that I enjoy whiskey. Uh, It's been um, my foundation. We do an annual fundraiser that's based around whiskey tastings. and, And really, that's how I got into it. One of the offers or the auction items that we offered was uh, a uh, tour through the local distillery at New Liberty Distillery uh, here in Philadelphia. And, you know, through that, you learn the entire process from grain all the way to finished product and bottling, barreling, all these different things. Um, And after doing it about four or five times, becoming really cool with uh, the the head distiller, Rob Castle, who's over New New Liberty, um, you know, I've really had an affinity for it. And then all of a sudden opportunities came and um, to do my own spirit and what, the, what would that look like and talking with Rob and having um, and, and having that go through that house. And not only did we you know have conversations, but we went into business together. So I joined uh, the investment group uh, Millstone Spirits that owns New Liberty Distillery and recently acquired Faber Distillery uh, here in Pennsylvania. So one of the largest, brightest um, um, minds in the business with Rob Castle as a business partner. Um, but but we wanted to enter the space in a unique way, similar to what I do with all of my businesses and and, and how can we impact black and brown people uh, in the space of, of spirits. And one of the the things that we know we wanted to do was create a craft product uh, of whiskeys and other spirits. And in doing that, then we don't need to you know create in mass. That gives us an opportunity to source uh, some of the to focus on quality and not quantity. And when you look at. Uh, who can you know provide the the quality grains and and, and things like that that are bio you know that um, are good for the environment that uh, no GMOs and all these things is usually smaller uh, farmers and and black and brown farmers exist in that space and so we have an opportunity to cater directly to um, the community you know that needs help and needs that that business that can't compete with the larger you know, uh, grow houses, but also have a really quality um, uh, business that that can be used. So for me, it's, it's it was an easy layup. Like, yeah, if we can source from black and brown farms and still make money and, and help them make money as well, then it's a win win. And so I think it's just an opportunity to be intentional with how you go about doing business, still bringing, you know, the quality product to the consumer that we want, doing it with the best ingredients out there and still being able to source from black and brown farmers. What was that process like, Malcolm, selecting the the black and brown farmers and and finding out which uh, ones that you're going to use? Yeah, we've already made some some partnerships already um, as we've been been working that out, but it's still ongoing. We're still looking for and and vetting, um, you know, black and brown uh, farmers, you know, from all over the area uh, to continue to build out the vision of this project. But we've already started to make some of those contacts. 
that was the next question. So they're from that area, from the Philadelphia area, Pennsylvania area? Uh, just really, you know, really all about it. It, it. I think we've made contact with people as far as uh, D.C. all the way, you know, uh, or the, you know, Washington area, mm-hmm. um, all the way up through Pennsylvania. So it's it's really just, you know, around, you know, the, the tri, I guess not tri-state area, but, um, you know, this this within reach of Philadelphia. Malcolm, you're always when in, in all of your businesses, you're always looking out for the minorities, for black, brown women. Is it challenging to balance wanting to have a profitable, lucrative business versus wanting to do what you believe is right? No, it's not challenging. I think what it's just easier to do it the other way, right? To mm-hmm. if you want to make it all about the business and maximizing, you know, and keeping the costs as low as possible, all those things, it's easier to do business that way. Um, but you know, when you want to have the effects that I want to have and the impact that I want to have, it's not necessarily difficult. It just takes, you know, some intentionality of the way you move and and who you're you connect with. And I think just that extra step is one that I'm willing to take if I know that, you know, not only can I pursue the dream that I want in making my own spirit, but in doing that, I can also provide a steady flow of business to black and brown farmers that creates, you know, job opportunities, that creates wealth building opportunities, and hopefully creates a model for other people who want to do the same. You know, you see a ton of athletes right now hitting the market with their own spirits and things like that. And most of them um, are doing white label type situations, which has been great. I think we've been seeing, you know, that that this is a space that we can dominate in. Um, and so now hopefully the next step is, well, how can we, as we step into these this, this arena of uh, spirits, how do we um, continue to bring our community to the forefront of our own success? And, and this is an attempt to do that. Have you had conversations with other athletes who may want to get into the spirit space and, and just kind of maybe encourage them or, or let them know, hey, maybe you could be thinking about doing it this way? No, not yet. Uh, and I think the majority, you know, especially in the NFL, majority of athletes are going to do that after they're done playing um, based on the rules. But it's something that they can be working on. I don't know. For me, it's something that I've been looking at and working on for a few years now. Um, but I think when you look at just what's out there, there are plenty of examples of, of athletes now having their own spirits um, brand and what that looks like. And some are very, very successful. LeBron James, probably the best one uh, with Lobos. And so, you know, I think those examples are out there. What I'm trying to showcase is, is um, the roadmap to that, you know, how you actually uh, can do that and do it in a way that's very, very impactful uh, to the people that we want to support. Malcolm, what's next for you? What what else are you planning to do as you, I know you're always staying busy. You got a lot of business ventures. Uh, what else do you, what else are you planning to do? Uh, I, you know what? I think we've always had this strategy. Um, one, we focus on things that I'm passionate about and I'm a, a forever learner. And so that changes, you know, every year. So I'll continuously probably, you know, diversify the fields in which, you know, my businesses touch. Um, and then always looking for um, how we can have impact. Um, but but quite frankly, we're looking for opportunities. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I want to get into. What will happen next depends on, you know, kind of how the dominoes fall. But I will say that we aren't putting any kind of um, limitations on, you know, what field or or what venues that that uh, those business ventures reach out to is really kind of waiting to see what the universe blows in next. But 
uh, we got our hands full with all of the things that that we're balancing right now. So really, sustainability is a big thing, but we know opportunities are going to continue to flow. Do you plan to stay involved in football in some way, shape or form, whether it's broadcasting uh, or anything along those lines? Yeah, I think I think I have to figure out, you know, what that's going to be. Um, so fresh into retirement, you know, I don't know exactly what capacity that's going to be. I don't even know what the fall is going to be like, you know, my first fall without strapping up uh, <laughs> in pads. So but I do I do think being a part of the game is something I always want to do, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's, you know, hanging out with local high school teams and coaching or doing some stuff like that. Um it's it's always in me. I, I'm I'm a nerd for the game. I'm a junkie for the game. I still find myself watching old games and breaking things down. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, but I am, you know, content being away from the game right now. Regarding the players' coalition, do you still want to continue to be involved and try and hold the NFL accountable? Yeah, but I, yeah, I definitely do. But I also understand that you know, certain voices that there's a need for like new voices and fresh leadership and in order to create something that's sustainable. And I think over the last few years, um, that's really been the the focus of guys like myself and Anquan Bolden is how do we create uh, a pipeline of athletes to take over, uh, knowing that, you know, Anquan left, I just retired, you know, that doesn't mean, and, and, and we don't have, you know, we can't hold on to all of the attention and leverage to make the NFL bend at our will. We're no longer a player. Uh, the people who have the hardest or the strongest leverage and the most power are those who are on the field and kind of actively doing it. And so we found ourselves now really focusing on how do we prepare them uh, to step into the, those roles? How do we give them the knowledge, the tools, the advice on the back end? Um, but still, the coalition has also grown so much bigger than the NFL. I mean, we're in over a dozen uh, professional sports leagues with athletes, you know, across the gambit. And so, um, you know, holding the NFL accountable is just one small rung of the large scale of, of what the Players Coalition is really the purpose that it was put together to do. Some of those players maybe that you've identified as the next step leaders, Demario Davis, maybe one of those guys? For sure. I think he's definitely uh, one of those voices. I know what he's doing in New Orleans is is phenomenal. And, and it reminds me a lot of what I was doing in Philadelphia, just like how one player can really, you know, make a place his home and just invest in it and actually make things change. I think he's a voice. Um, you know, he's one of the stars of the league, uh, has a great rapport um, from coaches to league to P.A., um, is really emerged as a leader, uh, just not only in the Saints, but just around the league. So I do think he's one of those guys. Um, but I also, you know, think you're starting to just see a more empowered athlete in general, where we needed all that we needed the coalition and these groups to come before. I think now you're starting to see some of the top tier athletes and, and um, you know, players in our league understanding their leverage and they're speaking up more in different ways. Um, and so I think we'll start to see more pockets of uh, collective groups. Um, pushing the league in different ways to make sure that we continue uh, progress. Malcolm, what were your thoughts on Jack Del Rio's comments? I, I didn't see a lot of players speaking up or speaking out. And I, I just wondered from that perspective, was was it that they they didn't want to comment as much about it anymore? Is there any kind of fatigue about speaking out on issues? Um, no, I think – you know, and, and my, I didn't see all of his comments and, and didn't dive into it. 
much to really um, feel the need to respond. I think I think what we can't do is 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 crucify everybody who has an opinion that doesn't feature ours. I think from what at least what I heard, which might not have been the, the whole thing, but he didn't seem like he wasn't open to a conversation. And that and that I think is is um is something I can you know accept. Not everybody's gonna believe and, and think the same way that we do. Not everybody's privy to all the same information. Um but the that and alone that in and of itself is is you know is not anything big. And and there are bigger things in the world to worry about than what one football coach thinks <laughs> about politics. And and I think we ought to keep that in perspective too. Not not everything is worth the energy of the masses. And I think that that has actually been one of the problems of sustaining any kind of focus in the country is because we can get derailed if any one person who we never cared to listen to before about anything <laughs> can say something. And then the whole country is now, you know, wanting to address that as opposed to these larger issues that are affecting us. Very well said, Malcolm. Hey, I appreciate your time. Good luck with the new venture. Uh, looking forward to seeing the whiskey eventually and, and what it's going to look like, man. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. The AP Pro Football Podcast is presented by Cairn University. Justin Simmons has played six seasons in the NFL all with the Denver Broncos. He made the Pro Bowl in 2020. He's been second team AP All-Pro twice. Justin teamed up with USAA to take his new teammate, DJ Jones, on a tour of the Denver area last week. Now we talk about that and a whole lot more, including Russell Wilson. Here's Justin Simmons. Justin, welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. These are exciting times for you guys. I know in Denver, Russell Wilson's there, but first, can you start off and tell me a little bit about your new coach, Nathaniel Hackett, and what it's been like kind of just to get to know him and what kind of coach you see? Yeah, Coach Hackett's been great. You know, he's uh, he has high energy, and uh, that's an understatement. You know, his energy is uh, is crazy. Super competitive. Um, you know, our practices have been, you know, really intense. Him and Kareem been uh, going at it back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but Coach Hackett's great. You know, I think he's a uh, – you know, he's a guy that that understands, um, obviously, the the situation he's coming in and, uh, you know, how imperative it is that the Broncos get back to winning football. And um, I'm really looking forward to this season and winning some games with them. Do you remember where you were, what the moment was like when you found out about the deal for Russ going through? Yeah. So I was in South Florida. Um, I was in a business meeting and um, my, my phone was going off a lot in my pocket. And I, you know, I was so anxious to check it, but, you know, wanted to be respectful of the time where I was at. So once the meeting was over, I look at my phone and I have, uh, you know, 100 text messages, 100 missed calls, uh, thousands of social media messages. And, um, you know, one of the one of the things I remember as seeing a text from, um, you know, Russ's agent, because, you know, he's from my hometown. And, uh, you know, we've been good friends growing up and all he texted me was you're welcome. And uh, <laughs> so then I called my wife and uh, asked, like, what's going on? And, you know, she told us uh, she told me the big news and, you know, we both celebrated on the phone. So it was uh, it was crazy, you know, and uh, obviously really exciting moment. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for the season with him. 
That's pretty cool. What have you seen out of Russell in the offseason, the OTAs, the mini camp? That's kind of – we know what he can bring to the offense, but what have you seen that uplifts the whole team? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's just the way that he carries himself and uh, and his preparation, though. You know, I think his attention to detail and I've been using this word um, almost in every interview I've been asked about him. But it's really the meticulous attention to detail and his preparation that I feel like really is uh, setting him apart. And, um, you know, success in this league doesn't happen uh, by luck or by chance. And uh, I think, you know, you look at. Russ's track record. Um, there's a reason why he's been so successful for so long and um, I'm seeing it in person. And so I'm looking forward to that success transferring over in Denver, um, you know, with us and starting this season. No doubt. Now you mentioned the preparation as a defensive leader, Justin, major part of your responsibilities. You got the pre-snap communication. Sometimes you got to audible uh, the defensive play. If, if you see something from the offense, how much prep does that take for you to be confident that you're going out there, you're seeing what you need to see to make the right call? Yeah, um, it, it, you know, it's, first, it's extremely important, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, OTAs and uh, with mini camps, you know, so imperative to kind of, you know, be there under a new system, um, you know, a few key extra players and, I think it was great work, too. You know, I'm going up against, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in our league, um, a Hall of Fame type of player. And, uh, you know, I'm getting real live game reps and, um, you know, day after day after day. And I'm having to make adjustments after adjustments. And, you know, there's times where you win. There's times where you lose. And, uh, you know, that's game like situations. And, uh, you know, we're going to need every uh, bit of that. In, a, in the AFC West, you know, a lot of tough competition. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great season. No doubt. You mentioned that competition, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr. You, you guys are in a, a, a it's going to be a battle to just come out of the AFC West. So how do you approach it what, as, a, as a leader? What do you tell your teammates? How do we approach this season? Is it uh, obviously we always hear guys say one week at a time, one game at a time. And, and as much of a cliche it is, isn't that what it really boils down to? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. You know, there's 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 no other, um, you know, saying or, or slogan you're going to come up with. You know, it's it's going to be one week, one game at a time. And that's just how you have to approach it, you know. Um, and obviously in the AFC West, you know, those are going to be uh, there's going to be big time games and uh, those are going to be important games to win. And there's no getting around that. So you tell the guys, man, like, hey, embrace it. You know, we're we're. We're another team, you know, on that on that same um, scale and stratosphere. We just got to win games. Um, that's what's important, you know, and finding ways to win games. But, um, you know, we're we're right up there with the best of them. And we got to be able to to prove that and to put that, um, you know, put that measuring stick out there and win some games. That's what's the most important. What's the toughest part of playing against Patrick Mahomes? Because I think sometimes we see that. The play could be called perfectly, defensed the right way, and, and he somehow manages to get a, a big gain or, or turn something in a, into a touchdown. Yeah, I, I think the biggest part of his game is, you know, just that. It's it's not the call. That's not the play that was called. It's what he's able to do afterwards, and it's almost like the backyard football mentality. You know, I think 
once he once the play kind of breaks down in the first couple seconds and uh, you know he starts to scramble then you know the receivers can uh, kind of almost do like a free-for-all just finding open spots in the zones or running away from their man um, you know and and the the scariest part is no matter where you know Mahomes is on the football field um, he's rolling out you know left to right right to left he can make all the throws and uh, put him in the windows exactly where they need to be. And so uh, that's, that's a tough part, you know, as a defense and um, you know, it, it really takes a collective uh, defensive effort, you know, to have a successful day against them. And uh, so looking forward to that matchup though, that's always one of my favorites. Dustin, now I know you did something really cool. You welcomed new teammate DJ Jones to Denver. You took a tour of some of the iconic sites and, gave him some helpful moving tips and all this was courtesy of USAA. Tell me about that. What led you to want to do that and, and how much fun you had? Yeah. Um, so it was great, you know, first of all. And um, so, yeah, USAA is, you know, they're the official NFL partner um, or NFL salute to service partner. And so, um, you know, for me, with them honoring, you know, giving, using their platform to honor our military veterans and their families, that was a no brainer. And they asked if I wanted to be a part of, you know, um, this kind of like tour of the city uh, with DJ, because my dad served as a, in the air force, my uncle served in the army as a purple heart. Um, and so it was, a, I've always had a lot of love and admiration and respect for our military and our veterans, um, you know, cause I'm a part of, kind of that family and um, really thankful for USAA and the opportunity to kind of travel around today and, and show DJ around the city of Denver. And, you know, he went to, uh, we went to Red Rocks, we went to Union Station, Laramere Square. Uh, obviously we went to the stadium so he could check that out if he hasn't already. And uh, it was just great, you know, and I, the idea behind it is, you know, moving can be uh, overwhelming and uh, difficult and, you're in a new city and, you know, for DJ, uh, a new team, uh, you're just in a new environment uh, in general. And um, I think, you know, the, the message kind of behind it is like if you happen to be a tr in a transition of your life where you're moving, um, you know, USAA has some really helpful tips and information and some really good insight at um, USA, USAA.com slash movers. And, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I've moved quite a bit, you know, in my life and, uh, just in, you know, the short 28 years that I've been living. And I wish I knew, you know, some of these tips when I was moving around, um, you know, a good bit. So it was just really, it was just really great. It was a really great time. I had a lot of fun and I'm super thankful for USAA and what they're doing, how they're supporting our, our military. Well, we moved from New Jersey to Florida last summer, and it was the most overwhelming experience of my life. <laughs> I could have used some of those tips for sure, Justin. Um, you mentioned your dad serving in the Air Force. It takes a ton of discipline, obviously, to be in the military. What did you learn most about from, from your dad? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I think the thing that I remember uh, the most, you know, kind of growing up with my dad was, um, was the discipline and basically like how to be coachable. That was like his like number one rule in all of our, in all of, like my sport endeavors when I was growing up, baseball, basketball, football, track didn't matter. Um, you're never too good, you know, to be coachable and, uh, to be coached up and you can always be better 
And um, I think that kind of came from, you know, his, his military background and, and upbringing. And so for me, you know, that's kind of been my, my, I, well, I would hope, you know, I'm not going to speak for myself and say I'm coachable, but I would hope uh, that's kind of just been my MO, you know, is that like, I always kept that like in the, in my back pocket, like there's always room for improvement. Um, and, uh, you know, the coach is always going to do, you know, their best to put you in the best position and you just got to believe and buy in and, um, you know, do it for the team. So that's always just been like a big, a big thing for, for me and, and my dad growing up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and uh, wish you a ton of blessings throughout the off season and into the season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rob. I appreciate you. Located 25 minutes from Center City, Philadelphia, Cairn University is a biblical university centered on Christ and His Word. In any one of our 70-plus on-campus or online programs, you will receive an explicitly biblical and intentionally Christian education that integrates your faith and work. Be taught and mentored by invested faculty. Participate in a dynamic campus life and grow in your faith as you prepare for what's next. Learn more about our undergrad and graduate programs at cairn.edu. That's C-A-I-R-N dot E-D-U. Time for some final thoughts. It was a tragic Wednesday for the Baltimore Ravens and the entire NFL family. 26-year-old linebacker Jalen Ferguson passed away earlier in a day, and then we learned a few hours later that Tony Saragusa, the goose, passed away in his sleep at age 55. Both men gone absolutely way too soon. Condolences to their families and to their loved ones. That's it for this week. Thank you to Malcolm Jenkins and Justin Simmons, and thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, check out my colleague Ralph Russo and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Till next week, I'm Rob Motti, reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. The AP Pro Football Podcast is presented by Cairn University.